Hello everyone, Alistair here. A friend of ours needs your help. Greg Campbell is a Navy veteran, published genre writer, Cold Hands, Warm Heart is his, and a single father after the unexpected death of his wife Pam just over a year ago. Earlier in the week, a fire destroyed Greg's home. His children and he are fine, they're resilient, but they've lost everything, their childhood mementos, the photos and keepsakes of Greg's late wife Pam, family pets. They have the clothes on their back. Their immediate family need to raise enough money to extend and secure permanent housing, basic furniture, linens, personal care items, clothes, school supplies, fuel, and maybe even replace the computer, which had Greg's second, not yet finished book on it too. Greg's unemployed. He makes his living from his writing. That would be hard enough without having to deal with being a recent widower and being a single father. And then the fire on top of that? Listen, no one is more generous than geeks when they put their mind to it. Please, let's help these folks out and give a writer and his family a chance to finally start rebuilding their lives. I'm not going to throw you the link here, but what I will do is put it in the show notes and it will be there until the campaign ends too. Do please give generously if you can. Thanks, everyone. Podcastle, episode 346, for January 16th, 2015. The Pilgrim and the Angel, by E. Lily Yu. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is The Pilgrim and the Angel by E. Lily Yu. If it so happens that you're already acquainted with Islamic religious tradition, specifically the activities surrounding the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca that is required of able Muslims, then I invite you to skip this intro and go right on to today's story. If not, however, allow me to provide you with a brief primer. Mind you, I'm not suggesting I can do justice to the rich cultural, religious, and historical significance of these themes in a three-minute intro, but I do hope I can provide you with some general background that will help you better appreciate today's story. First, here are a few definitions that will come in handy as you're listening. An hihram is a ritual garment worn by male pilgrims to Mecca. It consists of two large, seamless white cloths, one of which is wrapped around the waist, reaching below the knee, uh, and the other is draped over the left shoulder and tied at the right side. Um is an honorific, which means mother of, and ful is an Egyptian dish of mashed fava beans served with vegetable oil, cumin, and optionally with chopped parsley, onion, garlic, and lemon juice. The Hajj, which plays a central role in today's story, is, as I mentioned at the outset, a mandatory religious pilgrimage that must be undertaken at least once in a Muslim's lifetime if he or she is physically and financially capable of doing so. Every year, several million Muslims travel to Mecca during the 12th and final month of the Islamic lunar calendar, Du al-Hijjah. This month migrates throughout the seasons due to the fact that the lunar calendar is approximately 12 days shorter than the solar year. This year, 2015, it runs from September 15th through October 14th. 
While many of the rituals associated with the Hajj are drawn from the life of the Islamic prophet Muhammad, who lived in the 7th century, some trace their origins over a thousand years earlier to the time of Abraham. It is one of those more ancient stories, the story of Hagar, that is most prominently referenced in today's story. Hagar was the wife of Abraham and the mother of Ishmael. For reasons that aren't quite clear, God ordered Abraham to leave Hagar and Ishmael alone in the desert near what would become Mecca. Unfortunately, God did not order Abraham to leave any food or water for the two of them, which left Hagar in the position of having to run between the Safa and Marwa hills in a desperate search for water. To this day, Hajj pilgrims also travel between these same hills in a reenactment of Hagar's search. After her seventh run between these two hills, the angel Gabriel appeared before Hagar and told her that God had heard Ishmael's crying and would provide water. A spring burst forth from the ground, which was subsequently named Zamzam. To this day, the well is considered a holy source of water, and drinking some of it is considered one of the requisites of a successful Hajj. There are many other activities and stories associated with the Hajj, but this should be enough to get you started with today's story. If you'd like to learn more, I'd recommend visiting www.islamweb.net slash ehaj, where you'll find a wealth of detailed information. Author E. Lily Yu received the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer in 2012. Her stories have appeared in McSweeney's, Upgraded, Clark's World, and The Best Science Fiction and Fantasy of the Year, among others, and have been finalists for the Hugo, Nebula, Sturgeon, and World Fantasy Awards. She has worked on the 2014 video game Destiny and is currently working on other unannounced games as well. The story is read by one of our podcastle regulars, Rajun Khanna. He's also the author of Falling Sky, out now from Peer Books, available at your favorite bookstore. Enjoy the story. The Pilgrim and the Angel by E. Lily Yu Three days before Mr. Farid Halawi was washed and turned to face the northeast, a beatific smile on his face, he had the unusual distinction of entertaining the angel Gabriel at the coffee shop he operated in the unfashionable district of Makatam in Cairo. Farid was tipped back in his monoblock chair, watching the soccer game on television. The cigarette between his lips wobbled with disapproval at the referee's calls. Above him, on the wall, hung the photograph of a young man, barely eighteen, bleached to pale blue. His rolled-up prayer mat rested below. It was a quiet hour before lunch, and the coffee shop was empty. Right as the referee held up a yellow card, a scrub-bearded man strode in. "'Peace to you, Farid,' the stranger boomed. "'Arise!' Farid laughed and tapped out a grub of ash. "'Peace to you. New to the neighborhood?' "'Not at all. I know you, Farid,' the stranger said. You pray with devotion and give generously to the poor. So does my neighbor, said Farid, though that hasn't helped him find a husband for his big-nosed daughter. Can I get you a glass of tea? The one thing you lack to perfect your faith is the hajj. Well, with business as slow as it is, and one thing and another, Farid coughed. Truth is, may God forgive me, I'm saving up to visit my son. He's an electrician in Miami. Doesn't call home. What would you like to drink? I have come to take you on Hajj. 
I've got too much to do without that, Farid said. He had quarreled half the night with Umm Ahmed over their son, whose lengthening silence his wife interpreted as pneumonia or incarceration or death, though Farid supposed it was simply the cheerful thoughtlessness of the young. He had washed six stacks of brown glasses caked and swirled with tea dust, his joints sour from four hours sleep before unrolling his shirt sleeves and sitting down to his soccer match. But for the rigorous sense of hospitality that his own father had drummed into him, nothing could have stirred him from his chair, his chewed cigarette, and the goals that Al-Ali was piling over Zamalek. His bones clicked as he stood. He reached for a clean glass. But the angel spread his stippled peacock-colored wings, which trembled like paper, and made the room run with light and said again simply, I am taking you on Hajj. Fareed choked on his cigarette. Now? Me? Are you crazy? I have customers to care for. Gabriel glanced around the deserted shop and shrugged, his wings dipping and prisming the walls. Then he vanished. The prayer mat propped against the wall fluttered open and enfolded Fareed. While he kicked and expostulated, it carried him headfirst out the door and into the clear, hard sky, to the astonishment of a motorcyclist sputtering past. "'Sir! Saeed! Are you jinn or demon?' Farid called out. "'Where are you taking me? What have I done?' "'I am taking you on Hajj,' the angel said joyfully from within the rug, his voice muffled as if by a mouthful of wool. "'If you are taking me anywhere,' Farid said, struggling against the tightening mat." Make it Miami, and you have to get me home by midnight. Um Ahmed will worry, and I have to shut up the shop. He finally freed his arms from the grapple of the prayer mat. Below them the countryside zoomed by, green and very distant. Farid blanched. I can circle the globe as fast as thought, said Gabriel. Of course we'll have you home by then. Perhaps a little slower. I have a heart condition, Farid said. But they whistled up like a rocket and the wind hammered the next words back into his throat. When he dared to look again, the silver trickle of the delta flared below them. Then they were gliding over the shark tooth of the Sinai and the crinkling, inscrutable sea. This is not really necessary, Farid shouted. If I sell my shop, I can buy an economy-class Emirates ticket to Jeddah tomorrow. You can send me home now. No need to sell your shop, the angel said. No need to wrestle suitcases through the airport and sit for hours with someone's knees in the small of your back. No need to worry. Right, Farid said miserably. By the time they reached the Arabian Peninsula, the dry, scouring wind had become unbearable. Water, Farid croaked. Please, water. So spoke Ishmael in Hagar's lap, Gabriel said within the mat. She had nothing to give him but prayers and tears, but I heard her crying out. I struck the ground with the tip of my wing, and water poured forth. Water! Yes, water as clear and cool as glass. That was the well Zamzam. I shall take you to drink from it. Farid groaned a sand-scratched groan, then shut his eyes and muttered over and over the surahs of the dying. Here we are, Gabriel said, what felt like hours later, lofting a red-faced Farid onto a heap of sand. That's Jufa in the distance. Come, put on your iram. What iram? Farid said. But as he spoke, a bright cold stream boiled up from the ground, and the prayer mat unraveled and wove itself into two soft white rectangles, which settled like tame doves at his feet. Farid gulped the sweet water, washed himself as well as he could, then peeled off his shirt and trousers and wound the white cloths about himself. 
The stream receded as silently as it had sprung up, the dark stain it made in the sand drying at once to nothing. He had barely caught his breath when his white drapes shut like a fist and lifted him high into the air. Wonders upon wonders, Fareed thought. But why him? Why an indulgent father, an inattentive husband, whose kindnesses were small and tea-glass-sized? Why would any angel bother himself with someone so unworthy? Guilt niggled at him like a pebble in his shoe as he sailed over towns and sandy wastes. He could see Omamed rolling her eyes and shaking her head, hands on hips. Angels? You say angels took you to Mecca? This is why you left the shop unlocked and unwatched? What kind of a layabout husband did I marry? You want me to call you Haji now? Are you kidding me? It filled him with a terrified kind of love. What am I going to tell Umamed, he moaned. The truth, that your piety and prayers have been recognized, that Gabriel himself has led you on pilgrimage. She will throw shoes at me, Fareed sighed. Look, the angel said, as if he had not heard. They were descending through glittering skyscrapers and moon-tipped minarets. The grand mosque loomed before them, a wedding cake of marble that stunned Farid to speechlessness. He had always imagined making the pilgrimage as a fat and successful old man, cushioned by Umamed's sarcastic good humor and Ahmed's bright chatter. Now he had neither. Loneliness shivered and rang in him like a note struck from a bell. Farid barely had time to stammer the talbiyah through parched lips as they flew around the Kaaba once, twice, seven times, his body cradled in the unseen angel's arms. His mumble was swallowed up in the susurrus of prayer rising from the slow white foam of pilgrims below. Farid knew he was in the presence of the divine. He was humbled. Here is your zamzam water, the angel said. A plastic pitcher ascended to them, revolving slowly. Farid grasped it and drank. Now hold tight, the angel said, although Farid had nothing to hold on to. The pitcher tumbled away like a meteor. Over there is the path between Safa and Marwa, paved, enclosed, and air-conditioned now, very comfortable and convenient. I don't suppose... No, we shall take the path as Hagar found it, the hot noonday sun beating upon her head. Think, your child dying in exile. Think, how strong her faith, how deep her despair. Fareed and the angel swooped seven times over the crenellations and cascades of white marble. As they hurtled over the walkway, dry air whipping their faces, Fareed imagined the rubble and grit below the elaborate masonry. He saw in his mind a thin, dark woman plunging barefoot over the stones, tearing her black hair, her child left beneath a thorn bush to suck thirstily at shadows. He thought of Umm Ahmed's reddened eyes and weary, dismissive waving. Leave me alone, my son is gone, and of the phone that shrilled and yammered all day, but rarely spoke with his son's voice. The image he held of his son was the photograph of Ahmed in uniform, taken during his mandatory service, when he was still a boy and anxious to please. Now, the angel began, but Farid spoke first, flapping his arms as he hung in the air. Enough! Enough! But you haven't. Give me my clothes and my shoes. Your faith is incomplete without the Hajj, Gabriel remonstrated. What answer will you give the other angels when they question you? Farid felt cold despite the thick sunlight. His chest tightened. Where are you taking me? On Hajj. No, take me to my clothes. The angel swerved out of the mosque. They returned to the desert place where his shirt and trousers lay folded beside his shoes. Only a little sand had accumulated in the heels. 
As Farid stooped for them, his iram fell away and became once more his threadbare prayer mat. Beside him, the angel coalesced into a bluish glow containing edges and angles and complex intersecting wings. Only the vaguest suggestion of a face shimmered in the chaos. He was painful to behold. Shall I bring you home? Farid straightened, dust swirling and settling in his damp garments and sweat-sticky hair. A decision crystallized on his tongue. If this is real and true, and I am not dreaming, if you are truly an angel and no evil spirit, then you will please take me to see my son. After all of this, after I brought you in my arms to the honored city, to Masjid al-Haram itself, you want to go to America? Especially after all of this, Farid said. If you are capable of these marvels, you can transport me to Florida as well. The angel extruded a finger from chaos and curled it around his chin. Farid said, Hagar burned and tore her feet as she ran in search of water for her son. Did you not hear her weeping? That I did, and out of pity for her and her child you caused water to flow from barren rock. That is true. Then perhaps pity will move you to carry me to Miami, said Farid. I have not seen my son in three years. He folded his arms. I did not ask you to come. I did not ask to be taken on Hajj. I did not ask to be hauled out of my shop without so much as a note to my wife. Also true? Farid put one hand over his breast, where a dull ache was growing. So take me to see my son. This once. It's the least you could do for me, considering. Deep inside the blue matrix of the angel, polygons meshed and disentangled with a sound like silver bells. All right, enough, let's go, Gabriel said, dissolving. Back on the prayer mat with you. The rug rose from the sand and hovered an inch above the ground, undulating smoothly. Farid looked at it and made a small, quiet, unhappy noise. He resolved that if he ever made it home, he would buy a new, less willful prayer mat, perhaps one of the cheap ones with a pattern of combs and pitchers that were made on Chinese looms. Rolled up in his prayer mat, Mr. Farid Halawi of Makatam, coffee shop owner and pilgrim, came to an abrupt halt in front of the Chelsea Hotel in Miami. The carpet snapped straight and Farid spun once in the air before hitting the manicured lawn. His son turned away from his pickup, shouldering a wreath of wires. He wiped sweat and wet hair out of his eyes, blinking against the sunlight and the mirages wavering out of the pavement. Dad? he said, surprised. Farid stared up at the blue sky, bottomless as the one over Cairo, and listened to the strange, extravagant hiss of the lawn sprinkler. A single defiant dandelion bobbed above his nose, drifting in and out of focus. His stomach was still roiling from the rough flight across the Atlantic. That's it, Ahmed said, putting the back of his hand to his forehead. I'm seeing things. I'm going crazy. You could pretend to be happy to see me, Farid said. You can't possibly be here. You can't. I must have heat stroke. Go drink some water. I'll still be here when you get back. His son extended a brown, broad hand and flinched when Farid grasped it, but he helped his father to his feet. Do you believe me now? Farid said. What are you doing here? Visiting you. You don't call home often enough. How did you get here? The prayer mat lay meekly upon the grass. An angel brought me, I think. An angel. Maybe an ifrit. It was horrible enough. We went to Mecca first, then came here. I insisted. Ahmed stared. Are you all right? Of course I'm all right. Did you hit your head? 
Do you feel feverish? Farid frowned. You think I'm lying. No, I... Ahmed shook his head. I've got a job to finish here, okay? You can come with me while I do it, then we'll take you home, and I'll... We'll figure out what to do with you. He picked up his black toolbox in one hand and offered the other to his father. I don't need to be supported, Farid said. I feel fine. The truck's tires squealed as they pulled off the highway onto a narrow, shaded road. Beards of gray moss trailed from the trees and brushed the top of the truck. Ahmed lived in a pleasant white box, its postage-stamped lawn planted with crimson creepers and edged with large, smooth stones. No visa, right? Ahmed said, unlocking the door. No passport? Nothing. Very unofficial, this visit. But I don't think you have to worry about getting me home, Farid said. He felt the rug twitch in his arms. His son's house contained only things that were bright and new, chairs and tables in colorful plastics or upholstered in triangle prints, a glass bookcase stuffed with calendars and phone books, two photos in chromium frames on the wall. One of the photos was of Farid, his wife, and Ahmed, taken seven years ago in Alexandria. The other photograph. Who is she, Farid said, nudging the frame so it hung askew. His son flushed. She's, uh, I met her uh, a few months ago, I see. A year, actually, Ahmed said, looking away. She's really nice, very sweet, really. Does she cook well? Is she a believer? Are you engaged? Farid stared at the picture. Does she have a name? Rosa. Ahmed shifted from one foot to another. What do you want for dinner? I could make some food. You do know your mother and I have been trying to find you a good Egyptian girl. Aisha's a sensible woman. Thirty-six, steady job at the bank. That isn't necessary. Apparently not. Farid raised an eyebrow at Rosa, who beamed innocently from the frame. You might have told us. I was going to. When was the last time you called, anyway? I've been busy, Ahmed mumbled. I can see that. Business has been good. I'm glad, Farid said, glancing around the small room. The odor of newness filled his nose and made his chest twinge. Midnight, the angel whispered in his ear, faint as a breeze. Five hours. You'll make a mess if you stay, you know. Hospital bills, no identification, no papers. Farid clasped his hand stiffly behind his back. So, Rosa, do I get to meet this woman? His son's silence hurt more than he expected. Is it my clothes? I'll change. No. You can translate for me. Shouldn't she meet her fiancé's parents? Fiance? She's not... Ahmed flung up his hands. It's too complicated, Dad. Listen, if you paid someone to bring you here... I didn't, Farid said quietly. You have nothing to worry about. I'll be gone soon. He paused, studying his son. If I let you do what you wanted when you were younger, it was out of love, not wanting to see you caged up. I wonder if that was wrong of me. It was fine, Ahmed began to open and shut the cabinets. Farid sighed. Do this for me, he said. He had spotted the black telephone on the counter, winking with unspoken messages, and now he lifted up the handset and held it out to his son. Call your mother tonight. Just one phone call. Just one. She misses you. She needs you. Ahmed hesitated, then nodded reluctantly. Don't worry about dinner. I should go. No, stay, please. I'll cook for you. You'll be impressed. His son was different and strange in this house, taller and stronger than the boy Farid remembered. He had worked confidently at the hotel, snipping, stripping, splicing, 
and now he conjured up knives, pans, chopping boards, a blue gas flame with the casual swiftness of experience. To Farid's surprise, Ahmed, who had never cooked or lifted a finger at home, made fool with eggs and lemon-sauced lamb on rice. After cleaning the last crisp speck from his bowl, Farid wiped his mouth on the back of his hand and pushed back from the table. It is very good. Ahmed fixed his eyes on the floor, embarrassed. Two daughters, the angel said, three years apart. One will have your strong chin, one will have Um Ahmed's singing voice. Call your mother, Farid said, and give Rosa my regards. I should be going. He glanced toward the sofa over whose arm he had draped the prayer mat. A corner of the cloth fluttered, although there was no breeze in the room. In their small flat in Mokatam, in the hours before dawn, Um Ahmed rubbed a track in the floor with her pacing. Dinner had gone cold on the stove and moved uneaten into the fridge. The coffee shop had been empty and unlocked. She had groped blindly over the lintel for the spare key and found it untouched, checked the register and found it still full. A thoughtful patron had turned off the television on his way out, though the ashtrays and water pipes still trailed grey ribbons in the air. Through the dimness of the shop, the picture of Ahmed in fatigues, long faded to blue ghostliness, gazed down on her. No one knew where her husband was. No one had seen him since morning. No one knew what had happened. She dropped into a kitchen chair, exhausted, and put her head in her arms. Stars and green neon lights glowed outside the window. Automobile engines roared through the night. She had the sinking sensation of being perfectly alone. Then, on its cream-colored cradle, the phone rang and trembled, rang and trembled. Hello? Ahmet? Habibi, it's been so long. How could you... How are you... Outside, like a scrap of burnt paper, her husband's prayer mat, wrapped around a dark, heavy form, drifted down to their doorstep. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Now, when I first read this story, I thought the ending was particularly lovely in that I took it to mean that while God is strict and demanding, he is also merciful and will bend over backward to help someone actually fulfill the requirements that he's laid on them. Case in point, our man Fareed, who doesn't know how close to death he really is, has not made the mandatory pilgrimage that he seems perfectly capable of having made during his life, except that he keeps making excuses. But instead of letting him suffer the consequences for his procrastination after his death, God sends Gabriel to rescue him, even if that means dragging him to Mecca against his will. However, when I was doing my research for this intro, I realized that really, the story doesn't have a happy ending at all. Um, if you do a bit of research on a pilgrimage to Mecca, you soon discover that there are several activities called the Pillars of Hajj that a pilgrim is absolutely required to complete. Um, probably most notable of these is the Tawaf, which is the circumambulation of the Kaaba, the small shrine in the center of the Great Mosque. Most Westerners are quite familiar with this. It's the um, walking around the Great Mosque seven times um, that you see on the news all the time. Um, so if these requirements uh, are not fulfilled, then one's pilgrimage is invalid and it must be repeated. So no matter how generously you interpret Farid's activities in Mecca, there's really simply no way to conclude that he went on a valid pilgrimage. And assuming that he's now dead, and I think the story leaves us little doubt about that, then that means that he's off to face God's judgment and 
honestly, how exactly is that going to go down? I mean, God pretty much bent over backward to help him get right before he died, sent a freaking angel to fly him to Mecca on a prayer mat for pity's sake, and yet the job doesn't get done. Instead of demonstrating his faith at literally about the most important time that he needs to demonstrate it, instead he asks to be taken to Miami to see his son one last time. I mean, sure, can you blame him? But it does leave me wondering how I'm supposed to feel about the ending of this story. Should I be proud of Farid for putting the love of his son over his faith? Or am I supposed to believe that God will somehow suspend the rules in Farid's case and that everything will turn out okay because, well, he really does seem to be a reasonably nice, ordinary guy? Is being a nice, ordinary guy and loving your son enough to get you into heaven? Even in spite of the fact that you've cocked up the pilgrimage that God sent an angel to take you on? Well, I'm not really sure. I think this is another one of those stories that leaves it up to the reader to decide. Feedback this week is for Clark Ashton Smith's The Gorgon, which we ran right around Halloween. Commenters were duly appreciative of my brilliant intro and outro. Commenter Unfullred Johnson even lulled, which, as we all know, is the highest possible internet tribute. So with a blush and a coy wave, we will pass on to the other comments, which were generally appreciation for Norm Sherman's exceptional reading, as well as appreciation for the story itself. My favorite comment of the thread was from Devoted135, who said, In these sorts of stories, I always try to warn the protagonist, No, don't follow the creepy man back to his haunted house. But inevitably, he doesn't listen to me and comes within a hair's breadth of losing his life and must narrowly make his escape. I did think it unlikely that he wouldn't immediately realize the significance of all the statues, but perhaps that wasn't as common knowledge back in the 1930s. Thank you for those comments, as always, and please do drop by and visit the forum and leave some more. And while you're wasting time on the internet, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every penny goes to paying our authors and bringing you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. And so, on behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, LaShawn Wenick, Graham Dunlop, Anna Schwind, and Dave Thompson, thank you for listening. And by the way, this will be the last time I get to thank Anna and Dave, because after this intro, our new editors, Kitty Nicklean and Don Phoenix, will be on board. I'm terribly sad to see Anna and Dave go, but I wish them both well in their exciting new adventures, and I have every confidence that our new editors will be continuing the tradition of great fantasy fiction here at Podcastle. So, until next week, this is M.K. Hobson leaving you with a quote from Emperor Saga, the 52nd Emperor of Japan, in honor of Anna and Dave. Painful though parting be... I bow to you as I see you off to distant clouds. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. 